blessing uh, to be in the Lord's house this morning, and uh, <clears throat> there's a reason we don't do announcements like that on Sunday morning, because it's 1120 and you're all hungry. <clears throat> he gets up here and starts talking about fish and brisket and food, and how, and everyone goes, I'm hungry now. Then you get up to preach, and everyone goes, food. And uh, so, thank you for that, Brother Gary. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, we're still dealing with this issue of faith. We've left Hebrews 11 some time ago, but uh, just going through the Bible, and there's been just some helpful things that I think are just on point with what we need to learn about this issue called faith. So we're going to be in Nehemiah again. We were there last week, earlier on in the book, and this week we're going to be in Nehemiah and chapter number 13. Nehemiah and chapter number 13. <clears throat> uh, if you, when you find your place there, if you're able to, let's stand together to, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Nehemiah and chapter number 13. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter number 13. And we'll start reading in verse number 15. Nehemiah 13, 15. Uh, I learned as I studied the book of Nehemiah and um, have looked into it more and more, uh, we are very familiar with the first half of the book. And a lot of people are very unfamiliar with the last half and think, well, there's nothing here for me. Uh, and I have grown to actually love and appreciate the second half of the book of Nehemiah even more than the first. Uh, so the first half deals with rebuilding a wall. The second half talks about rebuilding a people. And boy, there's some powerful preaching and powerful verses in the second half of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah in chapter number 13 and verse number 15 is where we'll pick up our reading. It says this, in those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves and lading asses, as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem, here it is again, on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. Now, I have to do this every time where this word comes up in our wonderful King James Bible here because I grew up hearing that word, victuals. Anyone else the same way? The correct pronunciation of it is actually victuals, but every time I say that, someone goes, well, Beverly Hillbillies. You know, so let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. That's actually the correct pronunciation of the word, victuals, which just has to do with food. Okay, there was food being sold. Anyways, verse 16. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold, here it is again, on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do, and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus? And did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gate of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gate should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. Some of my servants said I at the gate, that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. 
So the merchants and sellers and all kinds of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. And I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. That's just a good Baptist way of saying, I'm going to do some whooping if you don't get out of here. Okay? From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. Must have worked pretty good. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. I titled the sermon here this morning, Have Faith in God, Not Gold. Have Faith in God, Not Gold. So may God bless you as well. You can be seated. And thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures here this morning. Always uh, appreciate that. <clears throat> you know, it's really easy to get out of church. Uh, as a pastor, I've seen it happen multiple times where people get out of church. So just kind of give a little bit of a scenario here and see if this sounds maybe a little bit familiar of something you've maybe either A, experienced or B, seen. So a guy uh, shows up to Bible Baptist Church here in Bridgeport and he comes in and he's uh, welcomed, everybody's super friendly, and he says, this is a great place, and here's the preaching. He goes, oh, that preacher's tolerable, I guess I can put up with that, you know, whatever that winds up being. But here's the preaching of the gospel, not so much the hearing the preacher, but hearing what's preached, right? That's what we hope happens every Sunday, that the message is heard. And here's the message of the gospel, maybe for the first time, responds to the message of the gospel and gets saved. What a glorious thing that is. Amen. Anytime a sinner passes from death unto life and becomes a new creature, old things are passed away, all things are become new. Mm, that's awesome. Amen. A person gets saved. And so here is this individual, this man that's come in. He has accepted Christ as a Savior, and he leaves a new man. Amen. And he is fired up. I love it. Uh, if you ever get like ho-hum in your Christian life, just go lead someone to the Lord and hang out with them for a little bit. Amen. You'll get your fire back. Right. New believers are just excited about the things of the Lord. They're just fired up about it. It's a lot of fun. And that's how we should be all the time. We ought not lose that fire. But here you have an individual that just gotten saved, and they're excited about the things of the Lord. So then Sunday night rolls around, and they show back up Sunday night. Man, I need, to get, uh, I need to get some more of that. And then Wednesday night rolls around. They're back on Wednesday night, and man, this is good. And coming faithfully, and then before long, you know, they start getting involved in ministries, get baptized, get involved in ministries at the church, and just get plugged in. Mm. Growing in the Lord, it's been like six months, they're just growing, 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 things are good. And they're like, this is the best my life's ever been, I'm knowing more about the Lord, I'm staying away from sin, I'm doing right, this is awesome, it's going good. And then the inevitable thing, just in this scenario, not trying to pick on anybody this morning. Uh, my brother used to say it this way, you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the only one that yelps is the one that got hit. So if this hurts, I'm sorry, don't take it the wrong way. Uh, but uh, inevitably, this is usually what happens. The boss comes and says, I need you to work. Right? It's just going to be this one time. Have you ever heard that one before? Yeah. I've heard it many times. Just one time, just this one time, I need you to work on this day. I know you go to church. I know you're on to the Jesus thing now, right? It's the boss speaking to the employee, and he's saying, but I really need you. I just need you on this one day. And so 
The employee says, you know what, um, it's just one time. It's just, I just do this this one time. Misses out on church that one time and then goes and works. Now, inevitably, again, this is what I've seen happen multiple times. I'm not trying to knock it. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about this in a moment. But the boss then realizes he's willing to work on Sunday. So he comes again and says, I need you to work again. He says, I thought it was just one time. Yeah, well, we're in a pinch again. And I just really need you. And before long, it becomes a habitual thing. And before long, he's coming when he can, and he's more out of church than he is in church. But he really wants to still hear the preaching. He's, he's a born-again believer, and he loves the Lord. He loves his church. And so he, uh, with technology now, he gets the live stream, right? Maybe they're on the job. He's at a position where he can actually work and watch it live, or later that day, he'll listen to it or watch it later in the day. But let's be honest. It's not the same. Right. Amen. I, I'm so thankful for that technology. I really am. I'm so grateful. Sometimes. Sometimes there's things that are recorded I wish weren't. And then they're preserved for all of you to go back and look Look at our pastor doing weird stuff. Okay, anyways. If I have to watch myself dance on a live feed one more time, I'm going to get sick. Those of you that are here for that service know what I'm talking about. For those that weren't, don't even look it up. You don't need to. Anyways, but I'll say this. Uh, I'm so thankful for that technology, but it can't replace being around God's people. That's right. It just, it just, there's something about making the dedication of being here and being around God's people and being invested with God's people and being encouraged by God's people that just, you can't replace that, okay? The assembling of ourselves together. The Bible says, forsake that not. Why? Because there's something about assembling. Yeah, something special about that. So inevitably what happens, as much as he tries, he just says, it's just not the same. So over time, maybe that even starts to be falling by the wayside. Over a period of time, as this begins to continue and continue, before long, he's just out of church altogether. Shows up every once in a while, maybe once a month or once every other month to church. Still somewhat connected with the church, but just out. People go by and visit him. The pastor goes by and visits him. People from the church give him phone calls. And he knows he wants to be and he knows he needs to be, but he's developed a habit of being out. And at that point, it's so hard to get back in. It really is. And so, inevitably, what happens is he looks back at his time when he was in church faithfully as the good old days. He looks back and he says, man, that was the best time of my life. It was so awesome, so wonderful. I wish I could have that again. Now, th this scenario has played out in a multitude of lives. I think there are those, even here this morning at our church, who are now faithful members at one point in their life went through that very thing. They got out of church, whether it was health reasons or whether it was COVID. There are people who are still out of church because they got out with COVID and never got back in because it got a habit was lost. Come on, that was a real thing that we all experienced there. And, and, and I, whatever the reason is, there are those who get out of church. And again, uh, understand my heart here this morning is not coming across and being like, bam. You guys need to be careful sitting on the front row. But come over here and just, bam, browbeating you and beating you over the head. That's not it. You're here this morning, you know. That's not the intention of the message. It's just kind of throwing up a warning flag like Nehemiah did that said this. Uh, maybe we need to shut the gate on the Sabbath day. There needs to be a reevaluating of some priorities. Now, again, uh, we just want to look at the scriptures here this morning and land on this. Should we have faith in what God has said about the assembling of ourselves? 
Or do we need to have faith in what our human logic says, well, I need the money? Okay. It, that's exactly the conversation that Nehemiah has with them. So just a rewind, if you'll remember, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Nehemiah, <clears throat> the book of Nehemiah is uh, the city of Jerusalem was sacked 586 B.C. by the Babylonians, just decimated. A third of the population is taken into Babylon. A third of the population is killed. And then a third of the population live in the squalors and leftovers of the city of Jerusalem like refugees, just a devastating area that's there. So the city, the walls are broken down. They're burned with fires. The gates are ripped off the hinges. The place has just been decimated. And Nehemiah hears about this. He already knew the walls were in bad shape, but some years before, a group of people went back with Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the leader, had started rebuilding the temple and kind of rebuilding the city. But Nehemiah hears the walls are still broken down. They're still burned with fire. The city's still in a bad condition right now. And it breaks his heart. You read about it in Nehemiah chapter number 1. He grieves and weeps and fasts for days about this. He's the cupbearer to the king, which basically means he's got a, a connection with the king, an audience there, a trusted advisory position. So he goes before the king and he says, Listen, the place I'm originally from in Israel, the capital of Jerusalem is just decimated. Still in a bad shape. And my people are trying to get that thing going again. Do you think I could go back and help them? And he says, not only can you go back and help them, but I'm going to write letters that says nobody can mess with you. And a wonderful blessing the Lord does. So the incredible thing that God does in 52 days, they complete the entire work of the wall. Now, again, that might seem like, well, 52 days, whatever. It was an incredible feat. Something that typically would take years. They got done in like less than two months. And it all was because the people, according to the book of Nehemiah, had a mind to work. And so we, we, even last week, if you were here, we talked about that there were those who were set up to have a, a weapon in one hand and they were working with the other hand. And, and there was a busyness about the work and trying to be faithful in what God had called them to do, even in spite of enemies that were out there. So they complete the wall and, and you can read about the fanfare uh, towards the second half of the book of Nehemiah. They have this huge day where they're playing instruments and singing and rejoicing in what God has done to rebuild a wall. But Nehemiah knows that's just the beginning. The wall being rebuilt is just a start. Now there are people that need to be rebuilt, a community that needs to be rebuilt. He has kind of a, an incentive program that he runs to bring people back into the city and start businesses and repopulate the city. They start doing what God has called them to do with the sacrifices and, and man, start taking care of the... There's awesome things that begin to happen. He's there for 13 years total. And then Nehemiah says, I need to go back to King Cyrus and back to my job. I've done what I set out to do in Jerusalem. You guys got this? I'm going to go home. And don't you know... They did everything like they were supposed to. Okay, heavy sarcasm. They didn't. You know the old uh, saying goes, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Nehemiah, the strong biblical leader, left. The cat was away, and so the people began to slide. The problem in that analogy is this. They saw Nehemiah as the cat, as the one that they should fear, when really the one they were supposed to be fearing was the Lord. They were supposed to do right because God was there. He was over them. He was their head. 
Nehemiah begins to hear about how they're slipping. He said, what are some ways in which they were slipping? Remember last week we talked about a guy, uh, Samballot and Tobiah, the guys that were actually attacking Jerusalem and causing problems and making fun of them? Do you know they let the guy named Tobiah, he was a brother-in-law to somebody related there in Israel, so they let him move into a spare bedroom in the temple. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You, you can read about it. The first part of the chapter in here, chapter number 13 there. Uh, you know what Nehemiah tells them to do? Uh, here's what you need to do with Tobiah who's moved in. Kick him out. Now, there's some preaching right there. Just take a time out and do that right now. If you've allowed Tobiah to move into your tabernacle, kick him out. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. It is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if you've allowed some things to get in there that are worldly and against God, kick it out. Amen. Get it out of your life and allow God to be everything that needs to be inside of your life. Uh, another thing that happened was the children of Israel started to neglect the priesthood. A devastating thing. The Levites weren't being taken care of. So they had to go get jobs. So because the Levites weren't being taken care of and they had to go get jobs, nobody was in the temple offering sacrifices teaching the people how to pray and worship the Lord like they were supposed to. And the whole thing was falling apart. It wasn't a good situation. And then he deals with this issue in chapter number 13. And then he deals with a final issue at the end of it, dealing with mixed marriages that they started Jewish people marrying outside and they were bringing in false gods again. Now, Nehemiah wasn't gone for very long, just a few months, and they allowed all these things to begin to slip, which is just human tendency. If we're not careful... We can allow what God says hold firm to begin to slip. And there are some important things in church life and as a church and for you as an individual that need not slip. Don't let them slide. Hold them firm exactly where they are. And so Nehemiah shows up and he goes, rolls his sleeves up and he says, there's some work to do. And so first thing he does, he goes in the temple and he goes, Tobiah, get your garbage. He throws it out in the street. You can read about it. It's a little bit more aggressive than that. He literally beats the guy up, throws all his stuff out in the street and kicks him out in front of God and everybody. And he says, we're not doing this. You're gone. And boy, he deals with the people about taking care of the priesthood and making sure they had a livelihood so they could actually do what they were supposed to do. And now he deals with this issue. And just to show the seriousness of how Nehemiah feels about all this, you read it in the text there, how he handled the situation. He shut the gate and locked it and then put guards out there and said, do you all really want to be out here? We could help you leave if you need us to. And he's got guards there to help with that. Well, why the seriousness? Because Nehemiah understood the great weight of what was going on. Now, again, we need to do a little bit of work on this to understand why Nehemiah is so serious. Why would he do this? Well, we read it about a dozen times in there, on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, because of the Sabbath. I mean, just over and over again. What's the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath is a day that God set aside for rest and worship and for uh, people to uh, have relaxation. That's what God set aside the Sabbath for. It was a day of praise and worship and a day of rest. Now, they were not keeping the Sabbath. They had started doing other things instead. Now, God had established the Sabbath day back in creation, actually. Remember, he worked six days. On the seventh day, God rested. 
But in the law, he set it up in the book of Exodus in chapter number 16. Uh, this is when there's a thing called manna. You say, well, what is that? Exactly, that's what the word manna means. Manna means, what is it? Because they didn't know what to call it. It was bread that God allowed to collect like dew on the ground that he sent from heaven. Every day the Israelites, well, God would provide this bread, this manna, this what is it, and they would go out there and they would collect enough for them to eat for that day for their family, and they would eat it, and it was sweet, and it was good, and it was awesome. And there were some people who didn't quite get the idea that God wanted them to collect it every day. So on Monday, they'd go out there and they'd get enough for the whole week. And the next day, their whole house stank. It grew worms and mold overnight and was disgusting. And God said, listen, this is daily bread. You get it on Monday for Monday. Tuesday, you get what you need for Tuesday. Well, why would God do that? Daily dependence on Him. We're still called to do this. Jesus said in His model prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, sometimes I think we're too affluent for our own good. We need to learn dependence on God. God, we need to trust in Him. But God wanted them to have this daily dependence. But something miraculous happened every week. On Friday, He said, get enough for two days. And some of the people are like, well, I don't know, because we did that once before, and it was all stinky and nasty and moldy and worms were in it, and it was nasty. So some people said, no, we're going to go back out on the Sabbath day and collect. And you know what wasn't out there on the Sabbath day? There was no what is it out there. No manna. Nothing there. So God had them go out on Friday and collect everything they needed for two days. And you know what? The bread kept for two days. It didn't stink. It didn't mold. It didn't have worms. It didn't go bad. God provided. His whole reasoning behind this is he says, the Saturday, the Sabbath day is a day that is set aside. It's holy. <clears throat> don't, don't miss this, okay? What it means by set aside or holy, it means this. It's a different day than all the other days. Amen. Every other day looks like this, but this day looks different than all the others. It's set apart. It's holy. It's, it's unto itself. The, this day is different than all the other ones. So on this day, there's not going to be any what the, the Old Testament would call servile work or work in which you go out to make a living or to get food or to uh, actually engage in a livelihood. He said, on this day, that doesn't happen. Well, why would God say that they needed this day of rest that's there? Well, I think there's several reasons why God had a day of rest that was given for them. In Deuteronomy 5, he tells them it was to ponder God's goodness for them. On the Sabbath day, they were supposed to remember that God brought them out of Egypt with a high hand with the plagues of Egypt and all that He had done. So it was a day of reflection. So instead of doing work, they were supposed to sit and think, man, our God's been good to us. Our God's been gracious to us. The Sabbath day was also a day that showed that God could and would provide for their needs, even if they lost a day of work. So here they are, and God was going to show them even if you don't work seven days a week, you just work six, I'll still provide for you. And the Sabbath day proved that God could, and not only could He, He would take care of them. We also have this, it marked Israel as different than all the other nations. All the other nations that were around them saw them taking the Sabbath day off, and they go, them lazy bunch of Jews. And yet God blessed and prospered and headed that nation in a direction that none of those other nations got to enjoy. 
And then probably the most important thing found in Exodus 20, it talks about that it's a day of rest. It was a day that God knew our bodies need a reset. Grinding it out seven days a week, 365, go, 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 will wear you out. God knew that we needed a day of rest. Remember in the New Testament, Jesus said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, Sabbath was made for the man. That phrase might seem like a tongue twister, but what he's saying is, God didn't make the Sabbath to punish you. God made the Sabbath to be a blessing to you. God didn't make you so that you had to obey the Sabbath day, because God makes it where you have to. No, God made the Sabbath day because he knew you needed it. God made the Sabbath day because he wanted it to be a blessing to you. God made the Sabbath day because he wanted to be benevolent and a kind God to us. The Sabbath day is even expressly mentioned in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Again, keep it different than all the other days. Keep it set apart. Holy, a day that is different. There are some allowances that are given. Obviously, allowances for emergencies. What was, what was and wasn't considered work, what activities could happen on that day. There's a whole big list of things that are there. I'm not going to get into all that here this morning. But the overarching theme of what the Sabbath was about was this. God wants you to have a day of worship and rest. So what were some consequences? Well, in Exodus 16, if they broke the Sabbath, they got worms in their bread. Actually, in Jeremiah 17, there were those who were put to death because of it. Uh, of not keeping the Sabbath day in the Old Testament. That could happen. But here's a very important thing, and this is where Nehemiah gets really bent out of shape. I was going to have his turn there, but we're not going to do it. Jeremiah 17, (laughs) just for sake of time and length of passage. Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah the prophet shows up before Babylon comes. And Jeremiah begins to preach this message. You're either going to keep the Sabbaths or God's going to make you keep them. That was the message that Jeremiah came and preached. Because there was not only Sabbath days, there were Sabbath years. And the children of Israel never kept them. And Jeremiah shows up and he goes, listen, you need to understand, you're either going to keep these Sabbath days or God is going to create an environment where you will be forced to keep them. And you know what Israel did? Don't care. And they kept on ignoring God's Sabbath, His days and His years, the days that were supposed to be holy and set apart for rest and worship of the Lord. And because of that, you know why God allowed Babylon to come in and tear down the walls of Jerusalem and the gates and burn them with fire? Is because they would not keep the Sabbath. We say, why is Jeremiah all bent out of shape about this? He's beating people up and yelling at people and shutting the gate and locking it and putting guards up. You know why? He says, the whole reason this wall got tore down in the first place is because you wouldn't keep the Sabbath. We're not going to go down the same path again, boys. He says, listen, the whole reason we got in the mess that we were in the first place is because we wouldn't obey God's word and God was going to get his. So we ought to just give him what is his and obey the Sabbath. He didn't intend it as a punishment. He gave it to you as a blessing. But if you're going to ignore the commandments of God, God's judgment is looming just over the other side. It's a dangerous thing to mess around with God's commandments like this. He says, listen, we've been down this road before. We don't need to do this again. So here's what Jeremiah does. Excuse me, here's what uh, Nehemiah does. He goes out there and he says, we're no longer going to be buying and selling on this day. Well, that's a really specific thing. In an interesting, he said, we're not going to have family barbecues. 
We're not going to travel. No, no, there was something really specific that he nailed down, wasn't it? Why were they breaking the Sabbath? They were buying and they were selling. Merchants were coming into the city and setting up booths, and it was like any other day in Jerusalem. You could go out on a Sabbath day, on a Saturday, there in Jerusalem, this time in Nehemiah, and it would feel like it was a Monday or a Tuesday. It was just like any normal day. It wasn't any different. It was just another day of business in Jerusalem. Nehemiah comes and he says, no, no, no. This day is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be holy and set apart. Shuts the gate, locks it, kicks all the vendors out, and he says, we will rest and we will worship on this day that God has set apart. Now, you say, well, that's great. What does that have to do with me? Because obviously today is not Saturday. If you didn't know that, it is not Saturday today, okay? Uh, it's Sunday. So I'm not here to debate the merit of the, the Sunday has replaced the Sabbath, and that's another study for another time. But I will ask just kind of just, just this question. If not Sunday, when? If, if not Sunday, when? Because God has designed us physically, and God has designed us emotionally, and God has designed us in such a way that we, are, we work six days, and then there is a day that is set aside that ought to be different than all the other days in its structure, in its schedule, in its purpose, in its intent. And that day is a day that's set aside for this, worship and rest. Now, you can help me if I'm wrong here. I'm, we're not going all the way back to the law and trying to work with that. But there's a lot of New Testament principles that talk about not forsaking, assembling together, and the blessings of church, and the wonder of us getting together. And the very fact that you're here this morning, I think, illustrates the idea. There is merit and there is blessing of a Christian assembling together. Amen. There is. There is merit and there is blessing of us gathering and assembling together. Absolutely there is. If not, we wouldn't do it. But God has told us that there is a time, a day that's set aside where the church comes together. We assemble together so that we can hear the preaching of God's word, so that we can worship the Lord, so that we can encourage and be encouraged by one another in the New Testament church. But here's the thing. Satan will do any and everything he can to prevent this from happening. I want to be very careful how I kind of proceed with this. I'm not in the habit of getting up and browbeating and, and bashing people. Ahead. That's not at all. I know there's some guys uh, and ladies that come to church here that they are in such an occupation and such a job that requires them to miss services. I understand my heart in this. I'm not up here saying you, you need to quit that. You need to move to another job. Could that be something that would be a conversation for you to have? Yes. But there are allowances, even within the scripture, of those who are like first responders and those who have certain jobs where that is required of them that they would do that. Okay, Again, we're not going to dig into all of it, but just understand, this has a whole lot more to do with a heart issue. That here's the fear. You know why Nehemiah said, here's why some of you are not going to obey the Sabbath and instead you're going to keep ignoring it. Because you don't trust God to provide for you if you miss one-seventh of your work week. No, no, let it sink in just for a second. Because I, I, I understand where the economy's at right now. Trust me. I understand the inflation issue. I know it. But here's where our lack of faith starts to come in. God, I have to because you won't provide. No, no let the weight of it kind of sink in. Ultimately, when we do that, 
I have to work these hours. I have to do this. I can't go to church anymore because I need the money. What we're ultimately telling God is this, God, I believe that you are not capable to provide my needs. And so because of that, my lack of trust in you, I have to take care of it on my own. Now listen, where does our faith ultimately lie in this whole scenario? And Nehemiah was ultimately coming to the people saying this, you need to have more faith in your God and a lot less faith in that gold. You need to have a whole lot more faith in God's word and a lot less faith in the dollar bill. The same message applies to us today. Listen, I've seen teenagers when I was a youth pastor get a job, get a car, get insurance, pay for gas, and before long they have to get more hours and more hours and more hours. They drop out of church, they get away from God, they're not where they ought to be, and now they're way off in left field. It all started with that one choice that was made. Am I going to choose to be faithful to church and faithful to what God has told me to do? Or am I going to capitulate and give in to do this so that I can have more money? There's a choice that has to be made. Listen, I understand I'm a family man too. I understand the decisions that are there and choices that have to be made. But can I encourage you in this way? Oftentimes people allow everything else to be their excuse why they can't go to church. Well, we have a ball game. Well, we have a family outing. Well, I have to work. Well, I have to do this. I can't. And no matter what comes up, church seems to be the first thing on the chopping block. Here's the encouragement this morning. Allow church to be your excuse why you can't do the other things. Amen. Change your perspective on the whole day where it looks like this. Well, we go to church, so we won't be at that until later. Well, we, we've made church a priority in our family, so could we do that on a different day? Well, boss, I, I love you and I, I really want to work for you. I'll be the best employee Monday through Saturday, any day, time, hour you need me. But Sunday, I've set that day aside. That one belongs to the Lord. If you don't mind, I'd love to have that day belong to the Lord. Listen, I understand this scenario, baby, can't play out in everybody's life. What I'm saying is put a priority on a day that God has set aside as holy because you need it. We need this time collectively together we assemble. And if you're able to, so much the more. Boy, what a blessing it is to see Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Boy, to see becoming more to church services and more invested. Listen, every time I come to church, I never walk away disappointed. Amen. There are days even as a pastor, I wake up and I go, I don't know. And I'm the guy that gets up here and talks the whole time. I can only imagine what you feel about it, right? I say this, there's days when I feel that way. So I know there's days where you wake up and you go, do we really want to make the drive? Do I really want to get up and get ready? Do I really want to do this when this is going on? I could be at the lake. I've worked hard all week. I deserve it. I've worked hard all week. I, I should work another day so I can get that overtime I've been looking for. Listen, I understand the temptation. I understand where Satan comes in and starts to prod and pick. But here's the great danger. One time turns to two, which turns to multiple, which turns to a habit and a lifestyle. And more often than not, Individuals wind up on the chopping block and wind up scattered on the floor of discarded dreams of hope of being what God wanted them to be because of a decision that was made one time. Make a decision in your heart. Church will always be a priority. And if by happenstance you have to miss, kid gets sick. Understand that. Got four of them that get sick all the time, right? Kid gets sick. He can't be at church. But boss is really serious. This one time it has to happen to you. But always have in the back of your mind this mentality Mm, I want to be at church. Have that desire in that heart and never allow it to become a habit. 
Make what God has set aside as holy. Never make it common. If God set it aside as holy, let it be what it is. Have faith in God, not in gold. Where does your faith lie this morning? Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation.